My name is Haley, and you're listening to the Beauty From Brokenness podcast. I'm a mom, wife, and blogger. In my life before kids, I was in event planning, dance coaching, small group leading, church going socialite who had it all together. But simultaneously, I was partying, people pleasing, past processing, sad and lonely on the inside. When I became a mom, being home alone with my thoughts, a baby and no schedule just about broke me. But God had other plans. And with his help, I began to take giant steps into becoming a new version of myself that was better than I ever could have imagined. In this podcast, you can expect to hear just about everything from faith to friendship to failure and what I've learned. The goal? To become better versions of ourselves today than we were yesterday. Well, I am just so excited to be chatting with you. Thank you so much for tuning into my very first Beauty for Brokenness podcast. I started all this as a way of sharing how God has truly taken some of the darkest moments of my life and turned them into good. I've found that there is so much power when we break free from this isolation stuff. I lived my life in isolation for such a long time. I thought that being stressed and anxious and even depressed was normal. It's not. I performed so well on the outside that I don't think anyone even would have known. And now that I know there's another way to live, I find myself wondering how many others are out there living just like I was. So I was the girl who grew up in church knowing everything there is to know about God. And as cliche as it sounds, it wasn't until I started a real relationship with him that some of these life-changing transformations started to happen. It's the kind of transformation that affected my friendships. It affected my priorities, my mind, my heart. And I can't wait to unpack all of it with you. And that's what this podcast is all about. So I hope you'll stick around. There's just information that's too valuable for me to keep to myself. So I wanted to start this first podcast with one of the most influential aspects of a woman's life, and that is her friendships. So our friends determine what we're going to do with our time. They affect our values. I think they affect our marriages, our parenting. Uh, They affect how we view the world, and they definitely affect our thoughts. So they say you are what you eat, and I say you are your friends. So take inventory. (laughs) When it comes down to it, we as women just want to be loved, don't we? We want to be invited to the party, even if we don't want to go to the party, because it makes us feel good to know that we're included, you know, and we might even show up at that party because we all have this irrational fear of missing out. Then, (laughs) this is my favorite, we text each other before the party to see what everyone's wearing and to let each other know how excited we are to see each other, which is genuine. But I think the real reason behind the text is that we're asking each other a question. Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to have someone to talk to when I get there or am I going to sit alone all night? You know, and we weren't made to feel alone. God designed us to be in fellowship with him and with others. And that's why we don't like that alone feeling all the time. It's crazy to me how powerful one conflict in a relationship can be. If you're like me, you've probably lost a friend due to disagreement before, you know, or maybe it was like one thing on a long list of things that you'd both had enough of. Or maybe you can relate to me in that you've bent over backwards, not ever really feeling like it's reciprocated. Or um, 
maybe you've questioned who your tribe would be because that just seems to be the thing to have these days. Or you've asked yourself, like, who is my best friend? Like, who would that even be? Or maybe you're just anxious with people in general. Maybe you've got a lot of friends, you've never had a problem with it, but you're super anxious and it maybe feels like a lot of work. I just, my heart goes out to you. I want to help you identify what could be the root cause of friendship issues you may be having. And I want to highlight what I've learned from being the world's biggest people pleaser. I want to unpack how a relationship with God does make a difference. And my hope is for you to feel reassured in knowing that you're not the only one whose relationships have wavered and you can have solid, fulfilling relationships that don't have to feel like hard work. So I was looking through a box of photos in my basement the other day and up until now, it would have made me sad to look at all those photos because I would have seen pictures of people in them and remembered things and I would have allowed myself to feel sad about all the relationships in my life that have changed. Honestly, most of them. And the old me would have felt remorse about how it ended, the lack of effort that we both made in the end, any number of things. But this time, when I was looking through the pictures, I honestly wasn't sad. Why? I believe with my whole undivided heart that I have stepped into who I was meant to become. And this new me is so confident about who I am that I can fully appreciate past relationships, even if they've changed or ended. Do you want to know what the biggest thing that changed about all my relationships was? Me. Oh, if you're the person who has old photos that would make you sad, or even current relationships that are wearing you out, step one is identifying what a possible root cause of the issues might be. That's right. We're going to start with you because you're the only side of the friendship that you can control. So for me, when I sat down to do this, I could trace my friendship issues all the way back to high school, maybe even middle school. So that's where I'm going to start. And wow, without even you know having a degree in psychology, I know how crucial the teenage years are. Like they totally affect how we see ourselves, our level of confidence, our social development, For the rest of our lives, it's like all anyone ever refers to is those short four little years of high school. I'm going to share some things with you because I know there's someone out there who's still living her life and her friendships like I was. And I'm just going to be honest and vulnerable in the hopes that it reaches her. So I plan to get more into my upbringing in future episodes. But for now, I'm going to just say my folks were going through a hard time when I was growing up and I never really saw good, amazing quality friendships modeled. So I never learned what it meant to be a good friend. And I never learned how to choose friends. And most of all, I was completely ill-prepared for conflict. And I handled a lot of what was going on at my home by becoming really tough on the exterior. And I was also critical and competitive, you know, all the while anxious and petrified as this teenage girl on the inside. And it's not ever a good combination to be a girl or to be quiet or to be critical in high school. And I was all three. (laughs) So I, and I don't want to make myself out to be like this big loser in school because that wasn't entirely accurate, but man, did I have haters. I was number one on what they called the homecoming hit list. And I was on it for all four years of high school. I wrote about this in my blog post called um, 13 Reasons Words Are Why. 
But anyway, this list, it was created by my peers and it basically meant that I was the target of some intense bullying during homecoming week at our school. So kids on this list got dragged through car washes in the bed of pickup trucks. They got duct taped to trees. Some of us got smeared in the eyes with um, shaving cream. And one thing I always had going for me was that I could run fast. So with the exception of one shaving cream incident, I think I really escaped all the other things um, every year. There were probably 20 names on this list, and I was number one every single year, including my own senior year. So embarrassing. And like I said, even though the makers of the list never caught me and really followed through with what they wanted to do, it didn't matter because the damage was done. I mean, these neon orange flyers were everywhere. They were on everyone's car after school. They were taped to lockers when we got there in the morning. It was the equivalent of what Twitter would have been like if it existed back in 1999. (laughs) Why am I telling you all this? I think that my becoming such a people pleaser later on in life was largely driven by my experience of not being well received in high school. So if you experienced that rejection, even on a lesser scale, I honestly think one of two things happen. So you're either fine with it, you're fine with being rejected because you don't care what people think and good for you, or you learn how to do a better job of pleasing people. That was me. So how about you? Did your teenage years adequately prepare you for friendship in the real world, or did they scare the daylights out of you? Did you have anything happen during that time frame that would have affected your well-being or your level of confidence? Um, Did you see healthy friendships modeled? I mean, if you can relate to any of these things and you're someone who feels like you do struggle in your relationships, then turn the volume up. I'm telling you right now, cut yourself some slack. You're human and you've been through things. And growing up, sometimes we just don't know what we don't know. And our decisions during that time frame can knock us off track and lower our confidence for a while. For years, or in my case, decades. But congratulations, because you're at a crossroads now and your life is about to change. How do I know? Well, first starters, you're listening to this podcast, and that tells me a couple things. It either means you're my friend and I made you listen, (laughs) or you're listening because you care about the people in your life and you want to learn how to be a better friend. And you want it badly enough that you're ready to make changes. You should also know that as any Beauty from Brokenness podcast listener, your heart and your life, they're being prayed for. They're being prayed for to a God who wants to change everything. If you're a Christian, I believe that you're stepping into becoming the person God has designed you to be. And that's the first step towards having the best relationships you'll ever experience. It's never too late to gain these friendships. I don't care if you're 16 or 60. The good ones are out there and they're waiting for you. So... Maybe you're the person who can begin to identify some root causes of people-pleasing from early in your upbringing, but maybe not. And before I move on, I want to pass along a little piece of advice. So I've heard a lot of women, people-pleasers and non-people-pleasers, say that friendships with women are just something they've struggled with their whole lives. That was me. 
most of the time, these women that are telling me this are like decent looking, successful, hardworking, really smart women who have never been able to figure it out. If this is you and you're going to stop listening to this podcast, I have one solid takeaway for you. Obviously, there are tons of changes that I made above and beyond this one little thing, but this tidbit of expertise applies to women of all ages, and it was a game changer for me and my relationships. Are you ready? Here it is. Smile. That's it. Smile when you walk into a room. Smile when you walk up to a person. Smile while you speak. Introduce yourself first and smile. Everything seriously changes with the slight curve of our lips. <laughs> the power of people's perception of you is crazy. And if you are being perceived as an unkind person in their minds, that is what you're going to remain until you smile. I didn't know the smile trick <laughs> or any other ones for that matter in high school. And subsequently, I was happy to leave it and all those memories behind. <laughs> So I've covered what I think were some of my root causes of the disease of people-pleasing developing later on in life. And at least in my case, I don't believe much of what happened in my early 20s really helped with that problem. I'm going to read an excerpt I wrote that described my 20s. And I'm sure you can relate to this. So here it is. I never want to be a 20-something again. Work hard and prove yourself. Network and get to know as many people as possible. Keep in touch with old friends. Engage with your new ones. Travel, try every internship, and juggle hobbies and fitness on top of all of it. <laughs> Maybe do more school. Have multiple jobs at once. Attend weddings, attend bridal showers. Attend weddings, attend bridal showers. Not a typo. Go to a group dinner, have drinks, go to the cabin, and drive. Everywhere! Meet for a coffee, have another coffee, meet for the third coffee of the day at 3 p.m. and then happy hour. So many happy hours. <laughs> Save up, pin the thing, host the thing, design the thing, order the thing, buy the gift and celebrate. Whew. So these are all good things, but I'm tired just listing them. I think, I honestly think emerging into the real world after whatever school you've concluded with, is the most exhausting thing. It's like a decade-long interview of trying to look your best and work harder than the next guy and appeal to people and potential spouses and clients and bosses. So our 20s are fun and active and productive, but I would argue that any insecurities we entered into the 20s with are at best ignored during that time frame. So if you were wise and secure in your 20s, and you were building those true, good, quality, reciprocal friendships while simultaneously creating the infrastructure of your entire existence, then consider yourself lucky because whether or not we're aware of it, I think most of us are still wearing this mask of who we want to be perceived as versus who we maybe actually are in our 20s. And even if we know who we are, not many of us have the wisdom or the selflessness or the experience to know how to really be that authentic friend. So I think it's no wonder things shift or change during or after this time frame. So, I mean, my 20s were really where my anxiety 
revealed itself. I don't, I don't remember a single time during that entire decade where I didn't feel stressed in social settings or just in general. I mean, I learned how to mask my mood around positive people, but then I let down my guard around the ones I knew I could be negative with. <laughs> and for that reason, being around positive people during that time frame of my life actually wore me out. I mean, I remember having anxiety in the car on my way to events where I knew I was going to have to interact with these positive people. P.S. That's a serious red flag. If positive people wear you out, there's something going on inside of you that needs to be addressed. They aren't the problem. I told myself that positive people were fake for years. But I'm telling you, it's actually possible to work through your stuff and live a happy, peaceful, genuinely positive life. The lie that we tell ourselves is that well, other people haven't been through what I've been through or else they would feel negative too. Some people haven't been through crap yet. That's true. But for the most part, people have. And peace and positivity are learned, practiced habits. Wise people know that and so can you and I. So on to our 30s. That is where I happen to be at the moment, and these are good days. <laughs> Before I go into detail about what my life looks like right now, I wanted to list some of the characteristics that I began to put together once I realized that I had had this people-pleasing problem. So here's my list. Um, hidden insecurities. You know, you're just, no one wants those to be out there, but you've got a lot of hidden insecurities. You've got desire for fellowship. You know, you you live it out by bending over backwards and being whatever you think someone wants you to be or doing whatever they want you to do. Uh, you get frustrated that no one returns the favor to the extent that you do. Uh, often feeling destroyed by friendship fail after friendship fail, always feeling like you're starting over again. Um, you know, people pleasers come in all forms. They can be super charming and they can definitely be the leaders of the group. And from what I've read, people pleasers, people pleasers are often very successful in differing areas of their lives. But when it comes down to it, no one really knows the real people pleaser. And someone with a negative opinion of this person will stop them in their tracks. True people pleasers will stop at nothing to earn approval. Why? they've given all the power over to other people. I'm going to say that again, because I think it's important. People pleasers are honestly powerless because they've given all their power over to other people. Power over their own emotions. For example, if someone voices a concern in their lives to a people pleaser, it may as well be an issue in the people pleaser's own life because it becomes their problem too until it's fixed. And I know I'm talking some people's language right now. <laughs> Lucky if you're the friend of a people pleaser because you're going to be so well taken care of. That is until you accidentally take a little too much one day and to your surprise, the people pleaser blows. <laughs> Sound familiar? Even if it's not to this magnitude, maybe ask yourself this question. Do you need the love and approval from others to the point where your happiness depends on it? I mean, 
are your emotions reliant upon how well you're performing in your friendships? Are you holding your breath in the hopes that your friends will be in a good mood and not crush your spirit? It's a dangerous place to live day in and day out. Let me tell you, my happiness absolutely depended on how everyone else around me was feeling. Not a select few. Everyone. Always. For years. I wore myself out trying to be everywhere and be everything to everyone. And I was the birthday planner of the year. And I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. I did. But my motives were that I needed that love in return. I desperately needed it. And I lived off of it as my fuel for life. The compilation of those years definitely caught up with me at a certain point, And they cost me dearly. I mean, not only did I lose years of sleep and probably years off my life, but I wasn't always able to be present for the people who needed me most. I mean, I was robbed of being able to enjoy any single moment, even when I was with my people. And when my boiling pot of perfection with people finally started rising up and spewing out over the top, it landed on and permanently damaged some of my relationships. I'm here to warn you, don't let other people hold the key to your happiness. Just don't. You're going to wind up hurting the people who mean the most to you if you give them the key to handcuffs they don't even know are around your wrists. I know this would have sounded like a foreign language to me a few years ago, but listen anyway. Humans weren't made to carry the weight of your happiness. Not your friends, your mother, not even your spouse should be the source of your peace and your confidence and your comfort. Oh, and certainly not your children. I mean, we should depend on the good people in our lives. That's great. They're there to bless us and to enrich our lives, but we have to make God our ultimate source of confidence. I plan to have future podcasts that break the process down if you're unsure of how to get to know God, but basically just realizing that God will always love and accept the real you, truly realizing that will give you the confidence to be the real you. And as the real you, you'll attract the right friends. Does that make sense? Before I get to what those right friends have looked like for me, I want to talk about the wrong ones. So in no way am I the expert in any of this. And as I mentioned, the challenges in most of my relationships that have changed were due to my own problem of being a people pleaser and not showing others the real me or speaking my mind and eventually getting frustrated about it. So what happens when you're a people pleaser, or at least when I was one, is you kind of lose your lens with, with how you select friendships, or you lose your filter. And what's happening in the mind of a people pleaser is, well, the more the merrier. And I don't know about you, but I developed a certain almost numbness or like a universal acceptance of everyone and anyone who wanted to walk into my life and onto my calendar. And that's damaging for a number of reasons. So number one, you're spread too thin. Um, Two, you're not able to be fully present in even the most quality friendships that you might have in your life because you're spread too thin. And in my experience, the toxic relationships will most definitely bleed into your normal healthy ones. 
because you're exhausted. Even when you're with the good people, you're exhausted and your thinking might be skewed due to who you've been spending your time with. And the danger in all this is you really can just lose sight of who you are because you're so busy trying to be what everyone else wants you to be that you lose who you are. I mean, I woke up one day and realized that I had no clue who I was. I had no idea what I actually enjoyed doing. I'm being serious. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know how I desired to spend my time. (sighs) And for those reasons and so many more, I think identifying and eliminating any waste of time. But one of those things being like toxicity in your relationships, um, eliminating them as soon as possible is key to creating this time that you need and this freedom to enjoy and find those good, healthy relationships that are waiting for you. Okay, so here are the warning signs that I found to be helpful. So if you're afraid to end a relationship because of what a person knows about you or because of what they would say about you or maybe due to your reputation, you might be in a toxic relationship. If you're constantly walking on eggshells or constantly having to cater to someone else's emotions, you might have some toxicity going on. If you're fearful of canceling a plan due to the emotions that might ensue or what might be said about you if you aren't there, yikes, warning sign. The moment you feel like you have to defend who you are or make apologies or like give someone incentive to hang out with you, red flag. If you feel that in order to support a friend, tearing someone else down that is hurting her is necessary, might be time for a break. I got to talk about this for a second. You can be empathetic without bashing other people. It's possible. And by the way, people that bash other people also bash you. There is a big difference between discussing an ongoing challenge in a way that honors the integrity of another person and downright tearing someone to shreds, which leads me to the next one. Steer clear of negativity, if at all possible. Again, there's a huge difference between supporting a friend who maybe is going through a hard time and engaging with someone who is consistently negative about people and things just for the sake of being bitter and negative over the course of years. God explicitly warns us to control the words that come out of our mouths. In other words, he doesn't want us to talk poorly about others. Take it from the old queen of being critical. It will come back to bite you. (laughs) You know, we're also supposed to forgive quickly and confront each other directly if there's a problem. Gently, but directly. If you've recommended this advice to a friend in regards to her conflict with someone else, or if you've tried directly discussing an issue that you're having with a friend or a family member and it still isn't working, it might be time for a break. Don't get me wrong. When I say break, I don't mean you need to drive over to your friend's house and have a friendship breakup. (laughs) In fact, This may be the time when she's going to need your support the most, but it should come in the form of limited time together. And it should come in the form of your praying for that friend, maybe checking up on her from time to time, maybe going to church together. If someone has wronged me again and again and again, 
I will carry them in a special place in my heart. Lord, have mercy. I will forgive them and I will pray for them. And to the best of my human ability, I will ask God to please take the burden of bitterness or whatever the problem is out of my heart. But they will likely not be etched into my calendar. Time with me is something that has to be earned these days because, oh, especially as a mom, time is so limited. It's a very special resource, and I am a people pleaser no more. So before I talk about my recovery from that, people pleasing, and what it looks like, I want to touch on the most important piece to this puzzle. So a lot of the things that I'm telling you to do in your relationships They truly depend on your having the one relationship that matters, and that is a relationship with God. I'm not talking about going to church on Sunday or going to small group or even reading a good Christian book because all of those things help, but I'm talking about a real conversation, like scheduled coffee time with God. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to carve out that time and just stop. Hide in your car or your closet if you have to, but stop. Go be alone and clear your mind and thank God for all the good things you have in your life. No matter what sort of storm you might be in the middle of, thank him. Even if you don't feel like it, especially if you don't feel like it, thank him for what you're going to learn from the problem, if nothing else. And I don't know about you, but what I do next is I ask for forgiveness and then I just sit and absorb him. I just sit and absorb him. One of my favorite verses of all time is Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. He wants us to be still and know that he's in control, not us. We're his little kids. Like we don't have to worry about anything because he's in control. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at my little kids and just thought, oh, I want to be them again. I want to be in those comfy jammies wrapped up in a cozy blanket, cuddling in my bed and without a worry or a care in the world because my parents are on it. That that I just described is the exact feeling that God has for you and for me. He has it as though you're the only person in the entire world. He loves you so much. He watches you while you sleep. I just read that the other day. He watches us while we sleep, just like we watch our children sleep, just in awe. God wants to sit with you and be with you. And when was the last time you did that for even 30 seconds of your day? I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference. For a while there, I just added 15 minutes to my morning. It was the 15 minutes before the kids woke up. And those minutes were spent with God like he was an old friend waiting for me down in my kitchen. And I'm telling you, during the course of this time, I began to realize how loved I am. I began to realize that if God loves the real me, so can I. That my worth could be found in him and him alone. Well, that changed everything. If I didn't need people's approval to be happy, then I might just try being myself and see what happens. I was too stubborn and too busy and too prideful and self-sufficient to really give this to God till my 30s. 
but it can happen for you at any point. Someone who isn't a parent can certainly get to this phase, but I will also say that once you become a parent, the process is expedited. And here's why. Parents have no choice but to prioritize. (laughs) Parents and, you know, mature individuals reach a point in their lives where they know that life isn't just about us. It isn't just about our productivity. Even if our time is spent doing good things, it isn't about the activities. It isn't about striving for perfection or a good education or beauty or success. It isn't about being accepted by people. All of those are nice things, but you can't take them with you when you leave this place. Life is about loving God and loving each other. And with that knowledge come healthier, more selfless friendships. My life is far from perfect these days, but I do choose carefully who and what I spend my time on, and that feels good. I am intentional about conversations that aren't rushed and shallow, but instead are filled with connection and honesty and God. There is so much power when you put your heart into your words. I've had some ugly truth talks. I don't always call or text on time. I really don't ever call or text on time. (laughs) My friends know that and they get it and they know it's not intentional or personal. I don't go out of my way if it doesn't make sense to. I mean, I felt like a real jerk being that way at first, but all I'm doing is what's logical for my life. I mean, according to my husband, that's just being a normal person. By the way, I have a lot more to say about the difference between loving others as we are asked to as Christians and being a doormat on future podcast episodes. Anyway, um, my life these days. I don't always answer questions like I know people would want me to. I don't linger and small talk anymore if I know I need to get home. I don't say yes unless I really want to. How novel! (laughs) Or in some cases, unless I know how much it would mean to the other person for me to be present at something. What else? I refuse to be negative about other people as much as possible. Do I suck at this as much as the next guy? Yes. When someone outwardly hurts hurts me, it is very difficult not to sulk and talk about it to someone else. But you guys, I never regret holding back. When I do hold back my words, I never regret it. And when it comes to hearing about other people's problems with other people, just refuse to rip on anyone. That's my best advice. Like, just don't do it. I said this earlier, but you can be empathetic without tearing someone to shreds. Such a big lesson on my part that I've learned. I crave learning these days. In fact, I only want to be around people that I can learn from. So sometimes that means that they're older than I am, but usually it just means that these are people that are one or two steps ahead of me in any one arena of their lives. So They have more experience with something that I'm still learning and vice versa. And in that way, our friendship is so much richer. My friendships are always marked by commitment and respect and mutual interest in one another. Uh, Our time together might just look like texts and maybe like a very irregular, maybe quarterly visit with each other. (laughs) But whenever we do connect, it's all quality. 
saying no to my friends is always an option. I don't ever fear what will happen if I say no. That is a big one, you guys, with girls. I know that if my friends are speaking hard truth to me, it is always with my best interest in mind. I know that it would never be coming from a bad place in their hearts. So do all these things sound like your relationships? Maybe at least some of them? There's an activity that I like to do with my small groups of 20-something women, and it is always awesome. Um, I have them take out a big piece of construction paper. So if you are able to do that, even in a journal right now, that would be awesome. If you're in the car, maybe you can just mentally envision this. Um, But I have them start off by drawing a giant cross. And then I have them draw a circle around the very middle of the cross. And inside that circle are the names of immediate family members. So siblings and parents and grandparents and spouses and children. Um, But the names don't automatically get entered into this circle. They have to qualify, see, with some of these things that I was just talking about. Mutually respectful. Can the relationship move past conflict? Do you trust these people? Do they have your best interests in mind? If they meet the criteria, then I have the girls write those names down. And once they're done with that, I have them draw a larger circle around the first circle. So now there are two circles. And in the outer one, they can write the names of friends who meet the criteria. And the kicker is the number of names in both circles cannot exceed 12. Because really, that is just what our capacity is when it comes to caring for and maintaining these good, healthy relationships in our lives. And what's really interesting, you guys, is a lot of these 20-somethings don't have the names yet. And I always warn them, don't just write names in these circles. Don't you dare just enter people in because what it probably means is that you haven't met them yet. And don't fill your schedule with crap that's going to take the place of these good people because then you might miss them. So leave it empty. And I I tell them, if you need to put someone in there, then you put my name in there. But you leave the rest empty until you meet these people that earn a place in your life. To sum all of this up, one of my favorite quotes by Pastor Rick Warren is this. You're the product of your past, but you don't have to be the prisoner of it. You are the product of your past, but you don't have to be the prisoner of it. Your friends will define your life, but you're in control of who they are and what that will mean moving forward. And like I've said, if you're one of those people who has had rock solid quality relationships from a young age, thank your lucky stars. Good reminders for the rest of us. Be selective about who you spend your time with. The moment you feel like you have to prove yourself in any way or show up based out of fear, time to reassess. Good friends will listen to you and they'll help you think of positive solutions without the need to tear someone else down. The confidence required to select and maintain these healthy relationships can only come from a quiet, heart-to-heart relationship with God. So make time for him and make time for the wonderful people he wants to bring into your life. I have so much to say about what good quality friendships should look like. I have so much more to say about it that I dedicated an entire episode to it. So be sure to check out the Beauty From Brokenness podcast episode 
the friendship contract. Thank you so much for listening. If there's someone in your life that would benefit from some of these reminders, please, please share this with them. I would love your honest feedback and I value your opinion. Know that you're being prayed for and that you are so, so loved. Here's that verse again for us to ponder this week. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Have a great day. 